Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Podcast Series. My name is Scott Miller. I serve as your weekly host. Our podcast is, as you know, the world's largest weekly leadership conversation where you can participate via via video or audio. You can consume this on your favorite podcast channels or visit franklincovey.com and subscribe. And each week have this sent to you in an email in your inbox each Tuesday. As you may know also, I've been hosting this podcast from the beginning and recently have authored a book called Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds, available for sale now on Amazon and all major book retailers. The book really is a compilation, a compendium of 30 of my favorite interviews from our first 50 or so conversations. The book is available now, light, easy, breezy, read. We'd love to have you pick up a copy and there will be future editions as well, writing Master Mentors Volume 2, right now available out in 2022. Today, our guest hopefully will be a future Master Mentor. His name is Scott O'Neill. You know him as the author of the book, Be Where Your Feet Are, Seven Principles to Keep You Present, Grounded, and Thriving. And Scott O'Neill is the former CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. Scott, joining us today from his home in Pennsylvania, welcome to On Leadership. Did you really use the word compendium? I did. I can't spell it, but I used it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, no, I'm one of those. Yeah. Compendium, and then you say this is an easy read. <laughs> well, a compendium, <laughs> Scott, because apparently you don't know. A compendium just means a collection of stories or ideas. You know, I'm an aggregator. I'm an. He's already kicking my butt. I, two minutes in. Can you believe this, Scott? Delighted I'm so you're here. Thrilled to be here. An honored, humbled. I, it's, uh, it's, I know you have a world-class podcast. It's quite a quite a thrill. I can't wait for the conversation. Scott, we're delighted you're here as well. The book you've written is phenomenal. Most people probably don't know you for the new book. They know you for what is a lifelong, high-profile career as a leader of many sports teams across, you know, for many genres, if you will, many, you know, functions of different types of sports, basketball and um, hockey and others as well. What I'd like to do before we get into the book and have a conversation about some of the lessons that you've shared in this recent book, will you kind of reorient our listeners and viewers into your career. Like me, you were kind of a scrappy worker from high school and on and kind of worked your way up through internships. I'd love to get a sense and have you share a sense for your journey that has led to a recent retirement in the roles you were in and the publication of this new book. For sure. Um, well, I started, I mean, I started working when I was young. I started working at 14 years old. I was uh, digging pools, quite a career, but not one I wanted to stick with. Had a series of labor jobs uh, through high school and some of college, and then um, had an internship with a sports marketing firm, and it kind of blew me away. I walked in there, people were good looking and dressed nicely and loved Fridays as much as they loved Mondays, and I started to fall in love with the business. And uh, graduated from Villanova University, uh, right outside of Philadelphia, and uh, went to go bounce in a bar called the Princeton in Avalon, New Jersey. My parents were thrilled with uh, such an esteemed education going to put to good use. Um, and then I went up and my dad gave me great advice. He said, son, write down 20 places you want to work. This is pre-internet. So went up, wrote down 20 places, came back downstairs. I said, okay, here are the 20. I said, what now? He said, well, now you're going to have to network to them. You got to find somebody that works at every one of those places. And I said, how am I going to do that? I'm 22 years old. I don't know anybody. He said, you know more people than you think. Start making phone calls. And so I networked to somebody at each of those places and was hired as an assistant, a marketing assistant with the New Jersey Nets. Uh, $15,000 a year, no overtime, no benefits, no vacation. What a dream. Uh, picking up dry cleaning, making lunch runs, 
and doing anything and everything that anyone could possibly ask, and I fell in love. It was like a romantic interest in that business. Not only that, I also met my wife there, who I've been married for 25 years, Lisa, um, who was an intern from BYU. So then I, uh, I left there after three years. I got promoted uh, very quickly. The president found me um, fixing the photocopy machine on a Saturday morning and promoted me that day. And uh, then I left to be director of sales at 24 years old, the youngest director at the time in the history of the NFL uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, left there to go to Harvard Business School, back to the Eagles as VP of sales, left um, to start a company called Hoops TV, which was the, um, like the merging of hip hop, culture, fashion, music, and basketball. And that failed after 19 months. So I was out of work, out of luck, out of money. Uh, stumbled into the NBA where I uh, uh, got to be part of a group called Teambo, Team Marketing and Business Operations. And that was a dream come true, getting to work for David Stern, one of the great kind of founders, mentors, you know, inventors of the world of sports marketing. Was there for eight seasons, then went to be president of Madison Square Garden as a New York kid. Nothing better than that. Uh, president of the New York Rangers, New York Liberty, New York Knicks, uh, boxing, tennis, college basketball, etc. And then was fired from there four years later after spinning the company out to be a separately traded public company, doing the biggest deals in the history of the business, putting a billion dollars into the world's most famous arena. I was sent packing and, uh, and then landed at the Philadelphia 76ers. And, and from there, we, we grew a big business, bought the, the Devils, created an investment business, an innovation lab, built a new training center, built the Grand Museum, created a real estate company, you know, et cetera. We grew over grew the business by over $2 billion in eight years and, and uh, just recently left um, to go pursue some other opportunities. Scott, so that's the story of me in two minutes. Yeah, it's a great review. I didn't realize it was that broad across, you know, multiple sports. So you really have, you have extraordinary experience in the NHL, the NBA, the NFL. Were you a, were you a sports player as a, a teenager in, in college at all? Not in college, unless you you count uh, intramural athlete of the year as, as some kind of esteemed award. Uh, I uh, I played I uh, played uh, soccer, basketball, and tennis in high school. Uh, captain all three sports. That was kind of our thing of our family. I mean, I'm one of five children, and, and we're all captains of, of almost every sport we've ever played on, every team we've ever played on. So we were better leaders than we were athletes, um, but but we were all feisty, all tough, all competitive. And uh, we kind of grew up that way. I was the kid flipping over the Monopoly board. Scott, let's pivot to the book for a moment. Uh, the book is called uh, Be Where Your Feet Are. I'd like you to kind of deconstruct that. Of all the titles of all the books you could have written, you titled it this. Uh, talk to that point. Well, for, first off, I, I wrote the book um, after my best friend took his own life. So I was not where my feet were. I was spiraling in some sort of like depression, grief, something that I couldn't really explain. I had trouble getting up in the morning and going to bed at night and stringing two sentences together or stopping um, breaking into tears when somebody would mention something completely unrelated. So, uh, so I started to write to heal um, and um, it came up with just three or 400 pages of, of some stories and some nonsense. And, um, and so for me, Be Where Your Feet Are is about, you know, in, in its simplest form, it's about phone down, head up. It's about kind of being present in the moments that matter and creating moments that matter. And if there's one thing I've, I've learned as a 51-year-old dad of three teenage daughters, husband of, a, of an incredible wife for 25 years, is it's not the amount of time you spend, it's the quality of time you create and the moments that really matter. 
Scott, so well said. Um, unlike you, I'm a 53-year-old dad of a six-year-old, nine-year-old, and 11-year-old boys, all three of our children, our sons. And one of the parts of your book I found the most captivating was this, this idea, of course, being present. We hear about this, it's a bit of a cliche, but I'll, I'll, I'll share a bit of a confession here for our audience as well. For those who know me, um, I don't live in the past. And I also don't live in the present. I tend to very much live in the future. Uh, whether it be about you know, how much money I need to save, what vacation we're taking, what party we're planning, what book I'm launching, what business I'm pursuing, where my children are or aren't gonna go to school, or I very much live in the future. And I think that's better than living in the past, because I can create my future, I can't fix my past. But as a result, I'm rarely, if ever, in the present. And I'd like you to maybe use me as an example, or, or perhaps not. Will you take as much time as it needs to, to revisit the topic of why it is so important, not just as parents, but as partners, as spouses, as leaders, as team members, to be in the present, and why perhaps that's more important now than ever before, given all the distractions and all the opportunities we're faced with daily? Well, sure. I, I can just tell you, as a dad, um, we wake up in the morning, and we have total chaos in our house. So there's just no meaning, meaningful moments in our morning. We call it the NCAA tournament. It's like survive in advance. We just got to get the kids in one piece, dressed, and out of the house without nuclear meltdown. Um, then they're off to school. I'm off to work. They've got homework, cheerleading, basketball, boyfriends, which I'll never talk about. Um, homework, get themselves together. I'm home late. I work 150 nights a year, typically. And so how much time do I actually have? Like how many meaningful moments? I've got family dinner, which I rediscovered during COVID. Um, outside of COVID, I probably have an hour a day. And the question is, is yeah. how am I gonna spend that hour? Am I gonna uh, worry about where they're gonna go to college in two years? Or am I gonna spend that time trying to be present and be with them and teach them something or having a some kind of memory or moment? And, and I tell you what, over COVID, I. I mean, I actually bought conversation starter cards, which was like a really sad moment as a dad, like, cause you think I could do anything and talk to anybody. I'm always comfortable on my feet, but that was the start. I'm like, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna make these moments count that we have? And so it, it doesn't mean you can't focus on the future or anticipate the future or plan for the future. It's just the memories are happening right now in front of you. I, there's a story in the book about a friend of mine went to business school together. He was sitting at a diner with his son. He was checking the scores on his phone. And this uh, elderly couple walked by and then uh, the woman came back and, and had written something on a napkin. And she wrote, um, spend, some, since, uh, spend real time with your son, put your phone down, you know? And he was really upset at first. And then he's like, should I really be upset or should I be taking this as a lesson and a message? Like we have these phones and they're such a crutch. We average person uh, looks at their phone, I think unlocks their phone over 200 times a day. Um, you know, I went to lunch with my friends the other day. I hadn't seen them in a year. I walk up, they're all on their phones. I'm like, guys, we cannot do this anymore. Um, so I, I think there's opportunity for all of us to, to get better and be better and think about those moments. Like, what, when is the last time you just sat down and wrote a note to your mom and just say, hey, mom, I just want to tell you I love you. I appreciate you, how you raised me, the lessons you taught me. I think about you every day and you matter. Like that simple 60-second text will break your mom into tears. But what if you did that every day? What if you sent a note to a mentor, a teacher, a coach, a friend, a partner, um, someone who you work with, someone you work for? 
I think the world can get better, like living as we are in the moment. Scott, I like especially that, you know, you are obviously a man's man in terms of the CEO and president of major sports teams, yet you're telling us that during COVID, you went out and bought conversation starter cards to actually facilitate the otherwise awkward process of connecting with your teenage kids and such. What else have you learned during the pandemic that has made you more presence, or to quote you, to be where your feet are? Man, so many lessons. Uh, one I mentioned before, the family dinner, family dinner, family dinner. Um, second one is, is just a walk with my wife. I, I call it a non-transactional walk. I feel like, you know, marriage is, marriage is hard. Like marriage is not easy. And I think the best thing we do is uh, when we're at our best, we are taking a daily walk for 30 minutes and we're not talking about where the kids have to go, what schedule has to happen. We're literally just being, we're in, we're in nature. We are together and we're walking. Wait, you don't, you don't, you don't discuss the American Express bill. No. Because that's usually what my walk is about. (laughs) I know it's awful. It's awful. And we just need some space to connect. Yeah. Um, Boy, you know, in terms of, of work, um, there's a, there's a mental health epidemic going on in this country. So a simple formula that, that we've discovered is do something for your mind, something for your body, and something for your soul every day. Get the right amount of sleep, mm. practice gratitude, and be where your feet are. Put your phone down, get your head up. And so th- those are six steps that I spend a lot of time when I'm talking to young people, speaking about and living myself. Scott, you're known for this concept of a leadership constitution. You write about it. I've heard you interviewed about it. I really like this idea. In fact, I'd love to have you maybe recreate what is the purpose of having a leadership constitution? Would you perhaps share maybe your own and maybe impart into our listeners and viewers why they should literally, when they stop listening or watching to this podcast, start to spend some time developing one of their own? Well, you need something, something grounding, some kind of um, mantra, if you will, in the morning. Uh, The world is swirling around us. There is a lot of things happening. There's a lot of negative energy. There's a lot of people grabbing at you. And so I think it's really valuable to articulate who you are and who you aspire to be. Um, the Leadership Constitution was actually created by Rich Hill of Gabriel Consulting. Um, I discovered it uh, at my brother's office in DC and then took him up to, to work with my team. And it's really simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. The simplicity is you answer two questions. I declare that I am dot, 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 and you can count on me to be. So those are two simple questions. I'll, I'll read mine, but I have to put my glasses on because I'm old. Okay, I declare that I am a passionate and authentic leader of leaders who feels a gravitational pull towards talent and character. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I love people and being part of a team. I get energy from helping others and we give the shirt off my back to a stranger and anything, anytime to a friend. I am family first, high integrity and surprisingly sensitive change agent who is confident, caring and intellectually curious. This fuels a competitive drive that at times feels like a chip on my shoulder. So that's the first part. The second part is you can count on me to be. You can count on me to bring positive energy into my space, exude urgency and push you, challenge you, nudge you and raise the bar beyond your expectations and sometimes what you think is reasonable. Laugh with you, cry with you, love you, even when you won't laugh, haven't cried and don't feel loved. You can count on me to root for you today, every day and always. Share the most personal thoughts, emotions, stories, highs and lows, because I'm okay with it and who I am. You can count on me to drive hard and reach the summit and then quickly start on another mountain. 
You encounter me to share wins and take hits for losses. So that that's me in a nutshell. What it also does for me is when I'm off or feeling um, not centered or struggling, I can go back to my leadership constitution, read it, and typically I'm not living one of those things, and that's bringing me that sense of un- of not being centered. Scott, uh, beautiful. Thank you for your vulnerability there. Remind us again slowly the two questions that people need to be thinking about answering and writing down. I declare that I am, and you can count on me to be. And how long did you spend kind of crafting that, revisiting it until you felt like it was authentic and, um, and uh, to quote you, your constitution? Yeah, so I, Scott, I have, a, I have all kinds of issues in sitting down and writing or standing in one place or uh, accomplishing tasks. So for me, I thought, I, I attacked it just like I thought I would. It's like, let's go, I can do this in 10 minutes. I know who I am, I'm confident, I have this covered. I tried in 10 minutes, it was a total fiasco. So, um, so I, I took my first shot. I called my brother, I said, hey, can you send me yours so I can get a sense? Um, I called all of our whole exec team was working on it. So I, I got several like pieces of information. I took another shot. Then I shot it around to three people who uh, know me, love me, care about me, um, and and feel like they love me just enough to tell me the truth. And I got some more feedback. So all in all, it took me about three weeks to answer your question. Um, uh, and I just kept refining, refining, refining until it felt like I can stand up, say it in the mirror, and feel like that is a, that is who I am 100%. And, and it's not who you aspire to be. It's who you are at your you best are. self. Yeah, yeah. And Scott, how has that leadership constitution, you mentioned the executive team all did it. Uh, to what extent did you all share it with each other? And how has it changed the way you either forgive people, leverage people's talents, or better understand how to work with them or bring out their, their mission or their fears? How, how sure. does it so impact we, how you deal with we them? All had them up in our all had them up in our offices. So they're, they're up and ready to learn. And then we all stand up and share them, actually multiple times. Um, and there is a, a high level of vulnerability, um, which, which I love. I love uncomfortable moments of vulnerability. I think it, it, it helps build teams. Um, the other thing it does is in conflict, it helps you reshape how you talk, how you engage. Um, if people know if they're struggling, they can come to me. They know, like my heart's on my sleeve. They, they're going to read me anyway. Um, you know, so I, I think uh, it gives us a sense of connectivity, connection, warmth, engagement, and better understanding. Scott, I'm gonna guess the word vulnerability isn't the first description most people would choose to describe major league sports. You know, executive level leadership, ownership, players. That's not the first word I would choose to use to probably describe the people that I know in that industry. How, maybe I'm wrong. How did that work well for you and against you? Because clearly you have a level of introspection, self-awareness, vulnerability, and humility that isn't common in that industry. That would be my assessment. How did it work for and against you as you built teams and major brands? Well, sometimes it worked really well and sometimes not so much. You know, I, I, um, I, I as I say in my leadership constitution, I'm okay with who I am. Um, so I think that there's a, there's a not so fine line between confidence and, uh, and ego. And I'm, I'm very confident, but I learned a long time ago that ego is the great deal killer, not only of teams, but of actual deals. And so I, I try to bring a sense of confidence and humility wherever I go. Um, how has that worked? 
Well, I, like I, I'm a kid who grew up on food stamps and uh, saw my parents go from that to a country club and then lose it all again. So you can imagine like the incredible life lessons of growing up eating puff rice and powdered milk for a week and then, you know, rolling onto red clay courts and playing tennis. So that's a that's quite a stark uh, reality difference. And so I got a chance to, you know, my neighbors at one point were, were truck drivers and electricians. And then my neighbors were doctors and lawyers. So so what, what an incredible education. I saw my dad build a big business and then wreck it. You know, kind of his, his ego got in the way and the business fell apart and they lost. My parents lost everything, including their marriage. So so from my perspective, you know, I I've seen quite a bit. I have experienced quite a bit. I've had things happen to me that, that haven't been great. And by the way, here's the dirty little secret. You peek behind the curtain. That's the messy thing we call life. And so a lot of times we put up a facade and everything looks perfect and wonderful. And we look at Facebook and Instagram and everything is great. And my kid got in a yell. Oh, my daughter scored the winning goal. Hey, look at me in Maui. And by the way, I keep posting those pictures because I love to see them. We just can't fool ourselves into thinking that's reality because reality is hard and life is messy and that has to be okay. And so the more of us that can share some of these stories of vulnerability, some of us that just look, I see you of two sports teams, built a big business, live in a beautiful neighborhood, have this amazing family, been married for 25 years. All that stuff is great. But by the way, you peek behind the curtain. It's not all, this is not all uh, rainbows and sunshines here. And that has to be okay. And the more we can share that, I think the better the world gets. I couldn't agree more. One of the seven principles that you share in your book is this concept of assume positive intent. Uh, Our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, of course, the author of the seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, called it assume good intent. And it's it's a principle that we live by here at Franklin Covey. And we're all challenged with that. Why was that? Of all the lessons, of all the principles you chose to learn after this incomparable career that is in the book, You've talked about it briefly today. Why was assume positive intent one of the seven principles you thought would be crucial for readers, listeners to know about? Well, I think I, listen, I, the first I heard of it was uh, through Indra Nui from the, from the CEO Pepsi. of Pepsi. Yeah. Um, she, she was, I was reading an article about her about 15 years ago, and, and she was saying that's the lesson her dad taught her. And e- ever since then, it was a bit transformational for me. I have it plastered all over the house. Um, when things are going south in our house with our, with our ladies, I would say, hey, API, API. Um, when you leave our house, there's, a, there's a, a big stone slate and it's carved into there. They all have rocks. We all have rocks um, on our dressers that have API carved in them. If you go to every, any chalkboard in our house, and we have several APIs written on all of them. Um, and, I, and that's a language I use at church. That's a language I use at work. And that's the language I use at home. So, so it's something that's been ingrained in me in quite some time. Um, I mirror it with like what we call palms up, meaning we walk into every conversation, aspire to walk into every conversation palms up. So if you were to walk in and and you worked with me and you had bad news, um, oftentimes my exec would walk in and they would say, Scott, with their hand up because they know I'm very emotional, they'd say, I need you to API here and I need you palms up. And all they're signaling to me with that common language is, is, I don't need, I know everything. I don't need you to wag your finger and I don't need you to tell me what I did wrong. I already know something wrong. What I need is solution-based. I need your brain. I need you open. I need your love. I need your understanding and your compassion so we can solve this together and move forward. And I th- again, it's like that, that's, I always think great principles can apply anywhere in life, whether that's a sports team you're playing on, a church group you're working with, uh, a team you're running at work, 
for your family unit at home. And so I, 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 I love the concept of assuming positive intent. And I, I, whether somebody spills milk, um, speeds past you, you get into a car accident, all these things, they, they just happen and it's okay. Um, but it's, it's very rare, at least in my experience, that you'll find mean-spirited people who intend to do bad things to you. And I, I think if we can go in, palms up, and assuming positive intent, uh, connections get better, more things happen, you can be more effective. You should write a book. Oh wait, you did, it's called Be Where Your Feet Are. Scott, uh, I once heard this concept of um, the trouble tree, right? I mean, I'm sure it was this parable about this gentleman that would come into his front door every evening after work and he would touch this little bush or tree out in the front of his door. And then I don't know, I, I'm mixing the parable up, but at one point someone finally says across the street or a neighbor or something like that, hey, Mr. So-and-so, I see every evening when you pull up to your front door, I see you touch your, this, this tree, what are you doing? And perhaps many of our listeners and um, viewers know the story of the trouble tree, right? The guy says, hey, I touch this tree because before I enter my home, I leave my troubles from the day at the tree and I touch it on my way out every morning and I pick up my troubles and take them with me. You, you, I've heard you write about and talk about a similar concept. Describe how you uh, replicate that same concept in your life and the positive impact it's had on your family and how all of us could benefit from that. I think you talk about maybe once on a conversation with your wife, you talked about um, how yeah. many how it was coming into your house. Recreate that story, I will. Um, if you will. I will. I, I will say, like, you know, who you marry really matters. Um, and when they love you enough to tell you the truth, it, it's really helpful. But I, I had come home one night. We were uh, I was with Madison Square Garden, and the Knicks were on a rebuild, and and the Rangers were on a rebuild. The Liberty were doing fine, but but okay. And so I came home all huffing and puffing into the house. And uh, as I said, I'm, I'm very emotional. I'm extremely competitive. I carry a lot with me. I walked in and I was stomping around the house, probably, I don't know, 11 o'clock, 11.30 night. My wife, she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? Didn't you see the game? She's like, yeah, I saw the game. I was like, did you not see us get booed off the court? Like, yeah, I saw you get booed off the court. I said, we lost by almost 25 points. I know, Scott, I saw the game, but what are you doing? I said, I'm mad. She's like, well, how good's your team? I was like, not very good. She said, how good are all your teams? I was like, well, we're not, we're not very good. So, well, how many games are you going to lose? I said, I don't know, maybe 100. She goes, so that's your plan. And I said, what do you mean? It's like, so you're going to be home 100 days. So one out of every three days, you're going to walk around pissed off stomping around the house. It's like, that does not work for me, and that does not going to work for this family. So you need a new one. And uh, that kind of shook me into gear. And so... I, I, I didn't hear a trouble tree, but I worried. My friend told me that the worry tree, maybe it's the same thing. Yeah. But he said tree. he came on, grabbed that worry tree, all his worries flew in the air. I was like, I need a tree. Like, I couldn't, I didn't have a tree like that. I need a worry tree. I couldn't find one. Um, so I use my, my ride home. Everybody has, has to have a decompressed time. And mine's that ride home. And, and that's when I howl at the moon. That's when I scream and yell or turn up the music and sing and, and or call a friend. Or I have to shake it out. When I walk in that house, my job is to be a dad and to be a husband. That's my job. And, um, and I, I can put my phone down consciously, you know, and for me, sometimes it's leaving in the car. Sometimes it's checking it in a drawer. Um, but that, that is my reset time. And I, I think everybody needs a reset time. When we talk about being where your feet are, like um, we, we have stress at work. We have stress, we have stress at home. Uh, hopefully you don't, but we have stress at home too. Um, and so we, we have, we need each other. 
And, and for me to be checking my text again, I'm not sure why everyone checks their text every five minutes. Honestly, I don't. It's like no one here is splitting atoms, nor are we doing heart surgery. By the way, if you're doing heart surgery, check your text every five minutes. I, we, we need you. The rest of us, put your phones away. Get your phones out of your bedroom. Get them out. Do not allow phones at the kitchen table. Don't allow them in the kitchen. At night, take your kids' phones. Have them charge them in your bathroom, where your phones are, away. It's like we have to we have to get better and we have to reset. And by the way, I don't mean to blame everything on phones because we had issues decompressing before there were phones or were so prevalent, but it's just magnified by 100 right now. And I, I think we need that decompressed time, and then we need to put processes in place to, to get us centered. Scott, my apologies to you and your phenom book, but I think the biggest wisdom I've taken is from your wife when she said, how many games are you going to lose this year? Well, 100. Yeah. So you're literally going to come in here a third of the year and make this our family culture. And when I read that, I thought, that is so profound. I, mean, I immediately put the book down and thought about how much of the culture I create in our home. We have three young boys. My wife is a full-time stay-at-home mom and house manager, you know, manager of our lives. And I thought, she's right. I mean, how often do I come home and I celebrate the successes. I don't, I just lament about what's going wrong and the challenges. I'm a fairly positive person like you. API yeah. is a lens through which I see the world, but it was really a, it was a prophetic moment. So thank your wife on behalf of me and our millions of listeners and viewers. Give me plenty. Yeah, um, from all your pain and your pleasure comes the uh, selection of your spouse. So choose very carefully. Let's end on this topic. One of your seven principles is something you call be the purple water Buffalo. Riff on that. Okay, so, and by the way, I was just in Kruger Park in Mozambique um, helping to build a school, and I actually got to see the watering hole where this, this takes place. So I walk into Madison Square Garden. They just had two pretty public uh, sexual harassment lawsuits. It was, it was described as a, a very toxic place to work at the time. And then I come in as president as a change agent. And the first thing I do is assemble the group. I ran the sports group, assemble the whole sports group into a theater. I get up on stage, I say, hey, some of you I know, some of you I'm gonna know, I just wanted to play a quick video for you. And I play this video, The Battle of Kruger Park, which is worth watching. It's about 13 minutes long. It's a little gruesome, uh, but it's worth watching. But it, this takes place in, in Africa at a watering hole. And you have these water buffalo kind of coming across the, uh, the, the land. And you have this um, tourist narrating the whole thing. And he's saying, oh, look at the water buffalo. Look at the herd of water buffaloes. Oh, look at the lions crouching. Oh, this is going to be interesting. Sure enough, you look, there are five lions, and they attack. They pounce. And, of course, they pounce on the little baby, the weakest, slowest. And they tackle this baby into the watering hole. And what's, what's interesting slash exciting about that is, is that they can't really get leverage to uh, settle in on their afternoon snack. So now they're trying to drag this water buffalo up and out. And just as they have the, the baby out of the water, a big crocodile comes, snaps on the baby's legs, and now there's tug of war. And the tourist is narrating the whole thing. Look, and the lions finally pull the little water buffalo out, and they, he says, the lions have won, the lions have won, like it's the Super Bowl. And then he pans the camera back, and you see this herd of water buffalo coming shoulder to shoulder, and they're a little, little hesitant, but they're shoulder to shoulder, and they're coming back towards these lions. There are a lot of them, 200 or so. And you see, like, someone gets nervous and then just punches to the back, but everybody keeps moving forward. And then these, these water buffalo go one by one and they, they stick their horns into the rear ends of these, these lions and chase them off. And miraculously, this little buffalo pops up and runs back with the herd and comes off, which is pretty amazing. And so then I put up a slide and I said, hey, and the title slide was, who do you want to be? 
and said, do you want to be a water buffalo, a tourist, a crocodile, or a lion? I said, tourist just watches things happen. But look, there's a piece of paper on the ground. Oh, look, the copy machine is broken. Oh, look, uh, the accounting teams missed their numbers again. Do you want to be a lion? Hey, let's pick on the weakest person here and attack. Or do you want to be the crocodile? Hey, somebody's down, let's kick them. I said, no, 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 no. Water buffalo. We're teammates. This is the family. And then I looked out into the crowd and audience, and someone infamously said, and guess what? Here's the good news. I don't want you to be anything you're not. But if you're not a water buffalo, you're not going to work here. And so what I invite people to do, if you're listening, I would write down a list of 10 people outside your family who you spend time with, and then drop them in those boxes. And then actually like do some intentional evaluation and say, who do I want to spend time with? Who brings me up? Who's my teammate? Who's my cheerleader? Who loves me? Who roots for me? Who leaves me uplifted when I'm with them? I spend more time with them. But the Taurus, the lions, the crocs, find some new friends. Scott O'Neill, I introduced you as we opened as the former leader of several sports teams. What's next for you beyond, obviously, lots of speeches, lots of interviews, books and such? What's going on in your future? Well, I'm going to have some fun. I, I do love this business. Um, I feel like at, at this stage of my life, at, at 51 years old, I have a clear purpose as to why I'm on this earth, and that's to help develop the next generation of great leaders. I think I can best do that building and growing a company. So I'll probably go do that again, whether I raise money and buy or go build or, uh, or go work for someone again in some different capacity, something along those lines. I've got, I've got plenty of time and plenty of runway. I'm happy, I'm healthy, and uh, hopefully I'll be smiling a lot. Scott, um, congrats for marrying the right woman. I'm sorry about the loss of your dear friend. Your book is Be Where Your Feet Are, Seven Principles to Keep You Present, Grounded, and Thriving. This is the podcast that people will listen to over and over and over again because so many great nuggets. Sir, thank you for investing your time in our audience today. Appreciate you being on. Scott, appreciate you and all you do. Keep leading. Lead from the front. Thanks, everyone. Water Buffalo. Make sure you Google the video and buy the book, Be Where Your Feet Are, and we'll see you back here next week for a new interview on leadership. <music>